Craig, and I'm the senior pastor here. I'm so glad that you've chosen to be with us this morning, and I'm glad to be back. I haven't preached in a couple of weeks, so hopefully everyone packed a lunch, and we can have a really good time hanging out till about 1 or 2 o'clock this afternoon. Um, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. Matthew, chapter 22. If, you, if you're not super familiar with the Bible, you can always look in the front. There's a table of contents, and that table of contents will tell you the page number. If you've got some idea about what the Bible is, then if you'll go to the New Testament, Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. The Bible is made up of two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is the first part, and it is the oldest part. It makes up about two-thirds of the Bible. That's why we've got to read the Old Testament. A lot of people want to jump straight to the New Testament, but two-thirds of your Bible is made up of the Old Testament. It's the foundation upon which the rest of God's Word is built. Um, so the Old Testament begins with Genesis. The New Testament begins with what we know as the Gospels, the four sort of biographies of Jesus. And those are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And we're going to be in the book of Matthew, the very first of those Gospels, as you're turning. Let me give you a few things to chew on. One thing that I neglected to have put in the announcements, but that should have been there, is we will be doing a Next Steps class on the last Sunday of this month. I don't know what the date is off the top of my head, but it's two weeks from today. We will be doing a Next Steps class on that Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. If you've got any interest in potentially joining our church or learning a little more about what it would be like to be a part of our church, I teach that and would love to have you be a part of that. We will meet in a conference room that is right outside that door and behind that exit sign. There's a conference room. We'll meet in there at 4 o'clock two weeks from today. Um, so uh, hopefully you can join with us. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about our first priorities, our first responsibilities. And, and it, it can be an interesting thing for us to jump into that, especially um, on, on the back end of a, a relatively tragic event that many of you have, have in, encountered just today. Um, uh, most of you by now are, are, are well aware that North Central High School sustained significant damage uh, last night in some sort of a weather-related issue, tornado, microburst, that's for the National Weather Service to determine, but uh, um, I drove out early this morning to look myself, and it's just catastrophic. And uh, so it can be interesting and difficult sometimes for us to figure out exactly where does God fit in the everyday aspects of our life? You know, what, what, is, what does this Bible have to say to me when my school has been, has been bulldozed? What does this Bible have to say to me when the doctor gives me a diagnosis that I don't like? What, what does this word have to say to me when my relationships are not good? And, and Craig, how in the world does wrestling with a, a, a big theological concept like the love of God have anything to do with exactly how I live out my day-to-day -day life? Over the next three weeks, we're going to be considering what our core values are as a church body. And uh, when, I, when people ask, what is Malvern Hill about? What I hope that you'll communicate and what I want you guys to know is that we really want to be about three things here at Malvern Hill. We want to love God, love others, and do our best to change the world. That's what we're about. Um, and we're about those things. We're not about some, some crafty slogan or, or, or fancy statement because basically God laid this out for us in his word. Jesus gives us these marching orders and we want to be about those things. And so this morning I want us to wrestle with our primary responsibility of loving God. But I also want us to see how it is that those things, those theological concepts intersect with the very real struggles and realities that we live with on a day-to-day -day basis. I also just want to say for those of you that have lost your school, or at least for a little while have lost, I'm sorry, those are tough things. Uh, tough things for our students to deal with, tough things for our teachers to wrestle with. So church family, y'all love them. We, of course, as a church, would do anything we can to support the efforts to see everything 
returned to some semblance of normal out in the North Central community, uh, of which many of you are a part. All right, by now, hopefully you've made it to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. I'm going to ask you to please stand with me in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read from Matthew, chapter 22, verses 34 through verse 38. For those of you who might not be aware, I want you to know this is the word of God. This is not the creation of any man, but these are the very words of God that he has spoken to us for our good and his glory and for the upbuilding of his kingdom and the changing of this church, not only here but around the world. Let's read together. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him. Now the him in this, this, this uh, passage is Jesus. Asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would give us understanding of your word today to apply this to our hearts and our lives. God, to love you with all our heart and mind and soul and with all of our strength and with everything you've given us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to put aside distractions and to focus upon all that you have for us this morning. I pray you'd be at work in this place. That, Father, there may be some here today who are far from you that you would draw into your love and into your kingdom, that you would rescue them from the grip of hell, Lord God, and set their feet solid on the rock that is Jesus Christ. Of course, Lord God, we also pray for those in our community that have been affected by this loss. Lord, I pray that you'd be very real. Um, we know that for, uh, for students and young people, God, these are just difficult things to wrestle with. Lord, we don't understand why, but we are so grateful there were no injuries. Lord, I pray that you'd give wisdom to all of those who will be a part of, of uh, creating a plan to care well for our kids in the coming days, weeks, and months. Father, be with us this morning. Forgive us for our sins. In Christ's name, amen. What is our primary responsibility? What is first? What's number one? I came across a graphic this week. It's supposed to be some sort of a personality test. And so in this picture, there was a lot of things going on. Okay, So there was a phone ringing. There was a baby crying. There was a dog scratching at the door. The doorbell was ringing. Some of you are saying, hey, that sounded like this morning, didn't it? The doorbell was dinging, and there was a fire on the stove. And then I had a question, which would you do first? And then it had a list of answers. So, you know, if you would go to the baby first, then you are, you know, very motherly or parental in your instincts. If you'd go to the door first, then you're very hospitable. If you let the dog out first, maybe you love animals or you just don't like dirty carpets. If you dealt with the phone first, maybe you're somebody who likes to just handle your business. Folks, I'm, I want you to know that that test was built off of a very postmodern understanding of truth that is not grounded in actual reality. This test creates a false narrative that suggests that anything that you would choose to do is the right thing to do. It just reflects who you are. Listen to me. If there is a fire in your house, it doesn't matter what else is going on. There is one right thing to do, and that is to put out the fire. You understand? The baby's crying, the doorbell is ringing, the phone is ringing, the dog is peeing in the floor. If the kitchen is on fire, you put out the fire first. You got me? Thank you. I, I couldn't even get an amen out of that except the choir. This is why we love the choir. Folks, I want you to know that we have primary... There are things in life 
that have to come first. And if we don't put those things first, we will neglect to rightly order the rest of our life. Okay, You can put out the fire and still take care of the baby and still let out the dog and still answer the phone. And if you don't make it to the phone, the answering machine or your voicemail or whatever can take it. And if you don't make it to the door in time and the dog messes up the rug, you can clean the rug. And if you don't get to the baby before he starts snubbing, he's actually going to be all right. No baby ever died from crying. But if you do all any of those other things first and the entire house catches on fire, the whole thing is lost. You understand? There are things that matter more. When it comes to God's Word, we are right to assert that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Why are we right to assert? Because the Bible says so, right? I mean, clearly, the Bible is very clear in that. All Scripture is breathed out out by God and used for teaching, for rebuking, and correcting. But we also have this this way, and and, and, and the the, the intent is right. As, As followers of Jesus and as evangelicals, we understand that we are condemned to hell for any sin that we've committed because all sin that we would commit is a sin against a holy God. And we are desperately in need of a Savior. But sometimes we sort of inflate our words and we'll say something like, every part of the Bible is, is equally important. Folks, when Jesus was confronted with the question about which was the greatest commandment, Jesus did not respond with anything other than, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Folks, there is an order of operations as it relates to the way that we order our lives. And unless we get it right, unless we get Jesus first, the entire house may burn down around us before we get to the other things. So what is our primary responsibility? This morning we got three points tonight. They're right there in your bulletin if you want to follow along with with the outline. But our primary responsibility is just exactly what Jesus said. See, this is the easy thing about preaching. If I'll just stick to what Jesus said, everything else kind of falls in line, right? So we are to love the Lord first. Love God first. Put first things first. In his Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey lists his first three as be proactive, begin with the end in mind, and put first things first. In many ways, before Stephen Covey, ever even existed, a group of godly men gathered together and dealt with the Christian's first responsibility or the first responsibility of mankind. They said that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Now this statement was formulated by a group of Presbyterian men and and it's it's, it's part of what's called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. But it it didn't just live among Presbyterians. Sometimes Presbyterians get something right, okay? Not often, but occasionally. And this is one of those, and we know they got it right because it lived on through the Baptist Confessions of Faith for the next several hundred years. And so when we look at the London Baptist Confession of Faith or the Philadelphia Baptist Confession of Faith, they continue to say this. See, that's what we Baptists do. We look at what everybody else did right and we steal it from them. Um, uh, but uh, this statement is formulated, um, and, and it becomes this template for all these Baptist confessions. But why were they right? Were they right because they were super smart? They were probably pretty smart, much smarter than me. But were they right because they were smart, or were they right because they, they were called you know, bishop or pastor, or because they wore the right kind of clothes or looked the right kind of way? Maybe they were right because they had some of those really godly-looking beards, or they, they spoke with a really deep 
solemn voice. No, they, they were right for one reason and one reason only. They were right because all they did was reformulate God's Word into a way that could be more easily taught in what was basically Victorian era Europe and would eventually carry its way on over into the, United, or into the colonies and throughout the United States. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Some people have tweaked that a little bit here and there, and some would say man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever or glorify God this way or that way. But in reality, it all comes back to God's Word and Jesus' Word right here in Matthew chapter 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Folks, when we live by God's word, we can't be wrong. And when people, um, so, so when we think about what it is that we are to do first with our life, we've got to love God first. When people compliment me on my preaching, I normally just tell them that as long as I stick to God's word, I, I got nothing to worry about, you know? Uh, well, Craig, do you ever worry about messing up? Yeah, I do. As soon as I begin to lean on what I have to say or what I know, I worry a whole lot about messing up because I'm just not all that smart. But God's Word is our rule book for all of life. And in it, God's love is revealed to us and God's desire for us. God's, God's rescue plan for all of humanity is revealed right here in this Word. So we've got to love God first. Now, when we talk about loving God first, I want you to know that what we're actually doing is we're creating some presuppositions. That's a big word. I'm going to give you another big word. We're creating a pre-philosophy. We're loving God at, at the pre-philosophical level i got to throw in big words every once in a while so y'all think I'm smart, and then i got to break it down so that y'all think I know what I'm talking about. Because anybody can use a big word. The question is, can you actually explain what it means? When we talk about loving God first, ultimately what we're doing is we're establishing a worldview. I'm deciding that everything else that I do in my life is going to be filtered through and controlled by my love for the Lord. All right? Everything else. But that can only happen if the love that I have for Him is the foundation upon which the rest of my life is built. We, um, we, we built this building, uh, oh, well, I guess we started about four years ago now. Um, and, and the very first thing that happened um, is, is they dug around the edge of the building, the, the existing building. Those of you are sitting in the middle, you're sitting in the existing building. Those of you are sitting out there, y'all are sitting in what used to be a parking lot and dirt. Um, and so those of you in the parking lot and those of you here in the courtyard are sitting out there. And, and, uh, but the first thing they did is they, they brought in lots of heavy equipment and they, they dug around the edge of the existing building. They dug down good and deep, and they poured a, a foundation, a footer all the way around so we could have a solid foundation upon which everything else could be built. Y'all, unless we have a solid foundation, see, that was important. They didn't even trust the existing foundation that was on this building. They shored it up as well to make sure that everything that was built would, would be sustained by the foundation. Right here on these corners, we have these giant steel posts right there. Uh, there's one there, and there's one right there where that camera's at, right, right where the fire alarm thing is. Big steel posts. You can't see them because we worked really hard to hide them. It was all my decision. I, I came, you should have seen the engineering I did to come up with all this. Speaking of, of, uh, of, of think first things first, you know, in engineering, everything may... I, I had order of operations down from 7th grade algebra, so I was good to go. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Once we had all that worked out, everything else was fine. None of that is true. What I discovered is that before they could put these, I mean, <laughs> order of operations is true. My com contribution to the engineering of this building is not true, and y'all know that because it's standing. Um, uh, but, but what I learned was that before they could even put the steel up, they had to come in and pour these huge 
footers for that to go upon, right? And they had to come in and, 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 and anchor that. So much went in to the support for these two columns so that this big girder across the top would support the weight of all of this building. But there had to be a foundation because if that was wrong, everything else was going to be off. Everything else was, as a matter of fact, one of them was wrong. You remember that? One of them was wrong. They had to actually go back in and, and readjust the length of the steel because somebody poured the foundation wrong. Okay? Did I mention I didn't have anything to do with the engineering on this building? I just want to put that out again. Y'all, if we don't get our foundation right, everything else crumbles around us. And Jesus wants us to understand that the first, so that's what he says. He says, this is the great and the first commandment. Folks, unless we get love God, everything else is built on an unsure foundation. And, and y'all, with the first wind that comes along, it'll just crumble. I drove past the high school this morning. I didn't just drive past. I was a rubbernecker, professional rubbernecker this morning. I drove out to North Central. I got out. I looked around. But I'm going to tell you, the first thing that just stood, steps out is, is the, the, the press box has been blown off of the football stadium. Um, the, uh, and and, and the, uh, the home side stands are just caved in. The concrete has just been destroyed. Uh, unbelievable that to see the destruction that came about just that fast last night with incredible winds that came through. But why didn't the rest of it just fall down? That was the other thing that kind of amazed me, right? That, so the center of, of the bleachers is caved in, but the rest of it's still standing strong because it's, it's been built on a sure foundation, a sure foundation that kept the rest of the building from blowing away, even in hurricane-force winds or worse. We still don't really know what happened. Yesterday, there were 80-mile-an-hour winds, sustained 80-mile-an-hour winds across the northern part of our county at 11 o'clock last night. Hurricane force is 77 miles an hour. And yet, why did we not see more damage? Because all these things have been built on a sure foundation. Folks, as you consider where it is that something sort of ethereal like the love of God fits into the everyday aspects of your life, can I just tell you that to keep you from crumbling under the pressure of life, You've got to have more than brick walls that support the roof of your life. You've got to have a sure foundation upon which all of those walls rest. And that foundation begins with a love for a God who loved you first and loved you enough to send Jesus Christ to die on a cross for your sins. Jesus was asked, what is the first and great commandment? Jesus didn't stutter. He didn't step back. Jesus said, love the Lord your God. Folks, can I tell you this morning that the primary purpose in all of your life is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The primary purpose of your life is to love God and to enjoy Him forever. It's not only your primary purpose, it's not only your primary commandment. Can I tell you, it is your greatest privilege. You've been invited into a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He says, I will be your friend. You know, there's never been a president of the United States in my 38 years of life who's ever picked up the phone and called and said, Craig, I'd love to be your friend. I mean, I keep thinking that maybe one day one of them will. Nothing. Doesn't matter. Nobody calls me, but the king of the universe is always ready to hear from me, my heavenly father. Love God first. Secondly, love God completely. Now, we're hard-pressed in this passage of Scripture to necessarily parse out all the individual meanings of the words. So here's what I mean by that. We, we, we aren't wrong to emphasize the aspects considered 
in heart, mind, and soul, right? It's, it's okay for us to sort of emphasize, I mean, especially when we think about what love is. One of the things I talk a lot about when we do marriage counseling is we talk about how love is made up of at least three different, three different parts, three different kinds of love that we speak about in the English language. So we, we have sort of the emotional aspect of love. We, we have the, the commitment aspect of love. And, and then we have sort of the passion, the, the bodily response of love, the tingling in your heart and, and in all, all those things that come along with it. When it comes to our love for the Lord, can I tell you that there's, there's aspects to that love. And so he says you've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And it's appropriate that we acknowledge that, that there's the, the heart experience, that, that warm feeling of love that I have towards the Lord. There's the mind, that, that sense of commitment that I, have, <coughs> that I have towards the Lord. And then there's the soul, that actual connection, that emotional connection that I have maybe with, with the Lord. But, but more than anything, if we're not careful, we can miss the forest for the trees in this passage of Scripture. If, if we overemphasize the individual components, we might miss the big picture that Jesus is painting for us. And the big picture that Jesus is painting for us this morning is that we are to love the Lord our God completely with every inch and fiber of our being. Our love for God is to be so complete, so encompassing that every single decision that I make or that you make in life will be influenced by your love for the Lord. This is what the love of family does. Because I have a family that I love, every decision that I make is made with the understanding that it will affect my family. Every single decision. I was talking with uh, um, one of our folks just recently who's uh, whose family keeps growing and, and uh, they've got to look at a new vehicle and, and the decision about what p- vehicle they're going to purchase is going to be made based upon the kind of family that they have. Folks, when you've got, when you've got four kids or more, you don't get to go buy a sports car. I mean, I guess you can if it's like your third vehicle or something, but right, I, I, I can't. I, I just I don't get to own one of those. And, and, and every decision I make as a family depends upon this. So let's just say that I wanted my third vehicle to be something fun, you know, a, a sports car or a Jeep or something like that. Then that's still a decision that's going to relate to everything else. Why? Because i got to make sure that my family can actually afford that purchase and that it's not going to take away from too many other things for us to go out and, and purchase what would only be a recreational or fun investment because of the size of, of my family. But it's not just when a family grows to a certain size. When, when you get married, you're no longer an individual. Before I got married, if I had 20 bucks in my pocket and I wanted to go to spend 20 bucks, I went and spent 20 bucks on whatever I wanted to spend 20 When Angel and I got married, if I had 20 bucks in my pocket, we were so happy. See where I'm going with that, right? Listen, right after we got married, I didn't even dream of spending 20 bucks without us having a conversation because we needed that 20 bucks. We need to have a conversation. She called me one day. She said, honey. Did you just buy such and such? She said, oh, it was, it was, did you just buy an iPod? I said, what are you talking about? Why would I buy an iPod? This is back in the day when they were expensive, you know. This is when they were old school. Those of you that appreciate this, this wasn't a flash drive, uh, a, a flash memory iPod. This is a hard drive iPod. I said, no, I, what are you talking about? Somebody bought an iPod in Anderson. I said, baby, if I'm in Anderson and making large purchases, we've got serious issues to talk about. Well, our, our card had been, had been hacked, 
and somebody had stolen our information and bought um, some, some, some candy at a drugstore and went and bought an iPod. I didn't make those purchases then because I wasn't just living for Craig Thompson, you understand? My life, I, I suddenly, somebody else was depending upon the decisions that I made. And, and, and when we got married, the decision that Angela made bore an impact on our family. And, and the same thing's true in your own life. When, when you got married, if, if you're married, when you got married, and if you're not, when you get married one day, if you do, the decisions that you make are going to affect somebody else. Every decision, the decision about how you're going to be entertained, the entertainment you're going to choose to be a part of, the decision about where you spend your time, your money, the decision about the relationship, all those things get wrapped up into that. Jesus says that we are to love the Lord with our whole heart, with every inch of our being, to love Him completely. What does that mean? That means that my love for the Lord should influence every... I mean, excuse me. Yes, my love for the Lord should influence every other decision in my life. Folks, how does your relationship with the Lord affect the dollars you spend, the time you invest, the places that you go as a, fam Angel, as a family? Angel and I, were, were we attempted to run yesterday. She tried to kill me, so then we walked. I mean, we ran a little while before I nearly died, but then we walked. Um, and um, uh, and, and we, we, we were having a conversation just about how our decisions as a family to, to attempt to put the Lord first affects the things that we're able to do with our children. It affects the things that we allow our children to be a part of, right? And, and, and sometimes that's not only like an allowance based upon a moral decision. Sometimes it's an allowance based upon a time commitment decision, Right there, there are certain sports that we just don't participate in because we've chosen to make our top priority, our love for Jesus and our commitment to His church. And so, if if this commitment, dance or sport or music or, or you know vocal coaching or whatever it might be, if this commitment is going to take me away from my local church, fifty percent of my weekends, then that's automatically ruled out. And it's automatically ruled out because, because our commitment is to the church, right? Period. That, that, that's just where we are. Um, we, we make decisions because we believe that even Wednesday nights matter a ton for our kids. Wednesday nights here, we believe that. We believe that, that on Wednesday nights, uh, they're obviously being taught, but on Wednesday nights, it's also the place where they're forging relationships that, that, that eventually create accountability and real ministry among themselves. And so we are committed to Wednesday nights which means that our kids get out of a Wednesday afternoon practice and they wander into the church building nasty, wearing their baseball clothes or their football clothes. We spray them down with whatever that spray is that you put on them so they don't, it stinks as bad as the kids, but at least you, everybody knows you made an effort, right? Um, you know, we throw something in their mouth and feed them because we're committed to that. Why, why are we committed? Because to come back to a Stephen Covey thing, the, the, for us, we, we considered the end. First, and the, and the end goal that we have are to see children that grow up to be adults who love Jesus, who pursue holiness through their teenage years and into their collegiate years and, and pursue Christ as adults. And so we believe that our commitments to Christ outweigh the commitments that we might have to anything else. Okay? Now, again, we, we have to make those decisions. Folks, just, just a parenting note for a minute. 
Okay, because here's the thing. Those of you that are in middle school and high school, you think that peer pressure ends when you hit like 20. Okay, this is the phone call that you get when you're a parent. Hey, you know what? I, I, I really think that your, your kid's got a chance at X, Y, and Z. You know, would you, why don't you consider having your kid commit to this? Because if they do this, then the sky's the limit. And, and, and we as parents are making a decision that says, holiness is our goal, and Christ is the limit that we're pursuing. And so unless that goal fits within our first commitments, you understand? Our first commitments. Buster, I appreciate the verses you read just a few minutes ago. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you want me to tell you what your commitment is? And it got real quiet, didn't it? Because everybody's heart just said to them, he can tell me even if I don't tell him. Even if I lie to myself, he can know. Young people, I can know what your commitment is. Parents, I can know what your commitment is. And listen to me, parents. Listen to me. Many of you have commitments that are to satisfying and pleasing your children. But it is not a commitment to seeing your children grow up to love Jesus. And there is nothing that matters more. He's not going to play professional baseball. There, I said it. I beat around the bush long enough, didn't I, Adam? I just need to go ahead and get it out there. It's not going to happen. He's, he's not going to the NFL. How do you know? Because it's less than 1%. And if he does, he beat the odds and he got lucky. She's not going to the WNBA. Oh, and by the way, if he does get to play collegiate baseball, you're still going to pay for him to be there. So the $10,000 you spent the last two years to pay for him to go play all these other things so that you could make it all back when he went to play college baseball is just a lie that somebody sold you because there ain't that much money. So what matters more? What is it? Because one day, dance is going to run out. Baseball is going to run out. Football is going to run out. Volleyball is going to run out. And it's all, most of it's going to run out at 18 years old. You understand, parents? Most of it's going to run out at 18. And if they're lucky, they get to 22 years old. And then what's left when you've told them that the only thing that mattered was their commitment to this thing? Folks, Jesus matters more. He said, what is the first and greatest commandment? Make your kids happy. No. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That took a turn, didn't it? Love God completely with every square inch of your being. And folks, you will know that when you live out your love of God. Before we get there, though, I want you to consider something. Jesus spoke about this sort of mixed love in, in, in several places in the book of Revelation. But, but in one of the places that, that he spoke about it was at the church at Laodicea. Those of you who have read the book of Revelation, maybe you remember. The, book at La, the, the church at Laodicea, Jesus says this to them. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Wood, wood. It's one of those good English, like old English ways. Wood that you would... Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What is the issue with the people at Laodicea? Folks, this cold and hot is not about whether or not you're a cold Christian or a hot Christian. This is, this is the idea that, 
that as the, as the water flowed into the, to Laodicea there, it came in on two aqueducts. They had a, some that would come in as, as hot water and others that would come in as cold water. I don't know if, if you've ever washed your hands with hot water. It's beneficial. You take a bath with hot water. That's good. I don't know if you've ever tried to drink lukewarm water. It's not enjoyable. But cold water sure is fantastic, right? Lukewarm water is good for absolutely nothing. You don't want to bathe in it. You don't want to drink it. It's not usable. The Lord says, because you're neither cold nor hot, because you refuse to focus your loyalties in the places where they matter, I will spit you out of my mouth because you are not useful in God's kingdom. Folks, have you divided your loyalties? Oh, we've got too many lukewarm people that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. You know, the most scandalous thing I say on a regular basis here in the church of the United States is this. Many of you who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ have no active relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And my greatest fear is that many will stand before the Lord and He say, would that you had been cold or hot, but because you've been neither, I will spit you out of my mouth. I can tell you whether or not you love God completely by looking at where you spend your time, your talents, and your treasures. Love Him completely. And then third this morning, live out your love of God. Here we are, forced to reckon with James. James wrote to his readers in in chapter 2, verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And we know what this is like because we live in South Carolina, okay? And people say, well, who are you to judge me? I love the Lord. I'm a Christian. One of my favorite stories came to me in high school as I walked past two young ladies in the courtyard there outside of our high school. And the two of them were arguing, as I discovered, as I walked past, and they were arguing about their religious commitments to Christ which seems like a relatively good thing. If you're going to argue, let's argue about Jesus, except this is the way that the conversation went down as I walked past. I didn't stop because I just honestly couldn't think of anything that I could do to help this conversation because I walked past, and one looked at the other one. She says, I too have been an explicative Christian longer than you have. I said, well, how about that, right? So I'm going to describe my faith by using profanity that's where we are with some people who are you to tell me i I got baptized when i was six years old i've been a christian longer than you have and i say james says you you tell me that you have faith without works james says show me i'll show you my faith by my works now understand there's more to loving the lord than working for the lord but able-bodied human beings cannot love the lord where there are no works for the Lord. Let me say that in a different way. For able-bodied human beings, there can be no love for the Lord that is not borne out with works for the Lord. Now that does not make me an Arminian. It certainly doesn't make me a Pelagian. I'm not suggesting that we work our way into heaven. What I'm saying to you is that if you have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the whole world should know it. I choose to be known, for instance, by my commitment to my wife. I choose to make my relationship with her a part of my being. I wear a wedding band because I want the whole wide world to know that I belong to her. I make it a commitment in my life to never have a conversation with anyone of the opposite sex for more than five minutes without making sure that they are aware that I am a married man. I'm married to a woman who loves me and whom I love and who takes good care of our children. That's a part of my being. I want to be known by that. I want the world to know. 
would suggest that you can't love your spouse rightly unless the world knows that you have a spouse. If people meet your spouse and are surprised to discover that you're married, there's a major issue, folks. Have you ever met that person who was surprised to discover after five or six months that they claim to be a Christian? Would anybody say that about you today? Would anybody be surprised today to learn that you are at church this morning? Would anybody walk through the doors of our church today and see you sitting in the pew and go, I can't believe that you would be in this place? Worse yet, would anybody walk through the doors of our church, see you sitting in the pews and turn around and walk out and say, if he is there, I want nothing to do with that. Why do we work? We work in all things as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We live out our love for the Lord by doing good works for His glory and for our good. Now there's been a debate in the past about what the most important thing for Christians to do, should be. So, some have heard that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Say, no, 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 no. The most important thing we can do is to evangelize. The most important thing we can do is to make other Christians. Folks, we're creating false enemies here. There can be no true evangelism without a sincere love for the Lord. However, there can be no true lover of Jesus who does not seek to live out a life that honors the Lord by sharing the hope that is found in the gospel. We're going to focus next week on loving our neighbors ourselves. and That's one of the ways that we live out our love for the Lord. But how else do we? Do we, do we work heartily as unto the Lord? Do we seek opportunities to share the gospel? Do you spend time regularly in God's Word? Do you contribute to the needs of the, uh, of the saints and the expansion of God's kingdom through tithes and offerings? Do you? See, ultimately, and unfortunately, we see far too many cultural Christians. Now, you know who they are, and, and, and if you're with us, you know who you are. Now, a cultural Christian is a person that claims to be a follower of Jesus, but they don't live like Jesus See, I have part of a sermon in here that I, I had to set aside in my outline because I wasn't sure if somebody I invited to church would show up today. But I'm going to go ahead and share this with you because I don't think that person's here. See, just this week I was told of just one more person who is not involved in a church because they see so many hypocrites. Now, what, what is a hypocrite? Just so you know, my second grader can tell you if you're not aware a hypocrite's a person who claims one thing and lives differently. Now, you can be hypocritical about a lot of things, but particularly about Christianity. Those who claim to be followers of Jesus who lie at work. For this particular person, it was those who claim to be followers of Jesus and cheat on their spouses. Maybe those who claim to be followers of Jesus but neglect their own children. See, perhaps you're one of those people. You claim to be a Christian, but you aren't one. Not, not really, not if you're honest. So you've got the jargon down. You've got some people fooled, but you, you, you don't have yourself fooled, and you certainly don't have the Lord fooled. See, because as you consider what Jesus' commandment is here, the first and most important commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, as you consider that, what you recognize is that you kind of like the Lord, you enjoy some things about the Lord, but you're not ready to commit to the Lord. Really, you're not committed at all. You'll put your 20 bucks in the plate when it comes by because that just seems like something you want to do. 
You'll show up occasionally on a Sunday morning. You might even show up every Sunday because it's convenient, and, and you'll show up until it's not. Maybe you're really good about showing up in the wintertime because there's you know, no good fishing happening right now anyway. Or maybe you'll show up as long as there's not a sporting event to attend. Or maybe you'll show up as long as there's just not something else that seems to be more important. But you don't love the Lord completely. You don't live out your love for the Lord. Some of you hide behind the lies that I've heard. Well, it's easy for you to say in your line of work. But in my line of work, i got to be tough. Folks, that is the lie. It's a cowardly lie. You see, you've fooled a lot of people. But every morning you get up in the mirror and you look and you know that you've not fooled yourself and you know you've not fooled the Lord and you know that if you were to die today, you'd bust hell wide open. Which brings us this morning to our conclusion. What is the chief end of man? What is your primary purpose? Did you show up this morning and go, what in the world am I here for? This world is so mixed up and messed up, I'm, I'm unhappy. Why, why am I here? And, and, and I told you at the very beginning, we're going to bring this all the way back around and say that your chief end in life, your main goal and objective, your primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Or, if we want to just jump straight to Jesus' words, your primary purpose is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Nothing else matters more than this. You say, but Craig, what does that do for my failing marriage? Craig, what does that do for my disobedient children? Craig, what does that do for my financial picture that is in absolute shambles? Folks, I want you to know that it's the foundation upon which everything else can be built. When they dug the footers for this building, it was a mess. Nothing looked attractive. Nothing was pretty. And then as if that wasn't messy enough, they dug all the footers and got everything ready. And then what they do, they brought in equipment and they just ripped out these huge holes in the building. Exposed this building to all the weather and all the elements. Exposed our parking lot to all the mud. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. When you get the foundation right, the mud doesn't automatically go away. But you can't close up the holes in your life until the foundation is secure. So this morning I ask you this question, do you love him? Nothing else is going to work until you do. Everything else is going to seem pointless until you do. There's going to be roadblock after roadblock and dead end after dead end until you do. But when you get that part right... When your love for the Lord is right, then you'll find yourself at a dead end only to realize that He was waiting for you there. You'll find yourself at a roadblock only to recognize that it is His way of redirecting you back into His purposes for your life. You'll find yourself at the bottom looking up at the opportunities that exist well beyond this life. So do you love Him this morning? I'm not asking what have you done for Him. I'm asking, do you love him? I'm not asking, what has he done for you? I'm asking, do you love him? I'm not asking what other people say about you. I'm asking, do you love him? 
I'm not asking what your kids think or your wife thinks or your boss thinks or your mom thinks or your friends think. I certainly don't care what your grandma thinks because she thinks you walk on water. I want to know, do you love him? Do you love him? What does Jesus know about you? Does Jesus know you love him? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You see, I've asked this question about whether or not you love the Lord because the Bible teaches us in 1 John 3, 16 that we love because he first loved us. You see, here's what you need to know is that God loves you. No matter where you've been or what you've done, no matter the levels, the depths of your sin and your shame, he loves you. Yes, because of your sin, you and I both deserve hell. We deserve punishment. But God loves us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died because he loves you. This morning, will you let Jesus love you and will you love him with your whole being this morning? Some of you are here today and you need to come and say, Today, for the very first time in my life, I want to experience the love of Christ and I want to learn how to love him. If that's you today, I want to walk you through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to walk you through the hope that is found in Jesus. Would you come when we stand in just a minute and sing? Would you come forward? I'll be standing right down front. I'd love to receive you. I'd love to pray over you. I'd love to help find somebody that can minister to you. Folks, I'm going to tell you something, though. There's some of you that have been walking in the doors of this church for many, many years, maybe for your entire life. But this question is ringing in your ears today because you know that the answer is no. See, when I ask, do you love him? You say, I like him. When I ask, do you love him? You say, I deal with him. When I ask, do you love him? You can't look and say yes today. Today, would you come? Perhaps you'd just like to come pray right up here at the front. Parents, some of you need to teach your children what it looks like to love Jesus first and most and completely. Some of us as parents need to learn what it's like to tell our kids no and Jesus yes. However it is, the Lord may be working in your life. Here's what I want you to know. The rest of it won't ever get fixed until the foundation is right. And our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. And you can stand with me. Do you love him? Will you come today as we stand and sing? Join with me as we pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would work through your word this morning. That your Holy Spirit would move among us. That you'd be active. That you'd draw sinners to yourself. Draw believers in a deeper relationship, Lord God, and draw us all into a greater appreciation for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us this morning as we sing. There's a place.